Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Answering the Call, offering a glimpse into the spiritual journeys of local priests, deacons, and religious. And now, Answering the Call with Elizabeth Piccicelli. Hi there, and thanks for joining us on Answering the Call here on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 and streaming on stgabrielradio.com. I'm your host, Elizabeth Ficicelli, and this program gives us an opportunity to get to know some of our ordained clergy and religious in our diocese and learn about their faith journeys as they answer their call to their particular vocation. And you know, sometimes what we think we want for our lives is not exactly what God has in mind, and my guest found that out for himself. He's here to share his vocation story with us. He's Father Frank Brown. He's one of our recently ordained priests for the Diocese of Columbus. He's serving over at St. Brendan's in Hilliard. So welcome, Father Brown, to Answering the Call. Hello, hello. How you doing, Elizabeth? Uh, Great. We have you loud and clear here, Father. You know, Father, I know you moved around quite a bit in your childhood through your dad's job. You've been in Houston, Texas, and Fort Collins, Colorado, uh, Baldwinsville, New York, and Westerville, Ohio. I also mm-hmm. know that you are from a Catholic family. So my first question is um, is about your Catholic family. How was Catholicism expressed in your particular family growing up? Uh, well, it was, um, like you said, I, I've always been Catholic. Um, but unfortunately, um, when I was growing up, our Catholicism was somewhat limited to um, mass on Sunday and, you know, a blessing before, before dinner. Um, unfortunately, my parents weren't very well catechized growing up. Um, that wasn't their fault. My dad was from a big family um, and had to work after school, and my mom was a quick convert, so we, we really didn't get much of a uh, education, I guess, with Catholicism. Um, that was something that I had to learn through private study pretty much later on in life. But, okay. you know, thanks be to God, we still went to Sunday Sunday Mass, and, um, yeah, that was definitely a blessing when it comes to later on in life. Yes, and that will definitely play out in your particular story, so awesome Sunday Mass. Um, now, your mom, it's interesting, because while you say they may not have been well catechized or so, but your mom saw something in you as a child. What was that? Yeah, it was really weird. I didn't understand it until um, I was older. But uh, she would always tell me when I was a little kid that I'd, I'd be, her, be her priest one day. Um, mm. I'm guessing because she, she saw that I'd, I'd, I would pray a lot. Um but yeah, she would say that, and then you know later on in life when um, things got a little little messy with partying and whatnot, that that turned into um, you're either going to be my priest or you're going to be in prison one day. She didn't know what she was saying, um, but yeah, it was it was definitely because I was always her quote unquote special child. So there was a a little seed planted there. That's interesting. Now, I know you attended public school through your junior high, and I also know you were pretty entrenched in wrestling starting as a young kid. So what would you say were the advantages and maybe disadvantages of that kind of uh, level of sports participation? Well, one, I mean, especially with 
with wrestling, there, there comes a lot of discipline and obedience, um, even as a, as a little kid. But at the same time, um, I didn't have many friends growing up, uh, mainly because I was shuffling around with wrestling. And I didn't really like public school too, too much. But wrestling kind of kept me, um, at least early on, it, it kept me away from falling into the wrong crowds, hanging out with the wrong people. Um, because, I, you know, at least I'm thankful that when it comes to that partying lifestyle, that didn't begin in middle school. So I was somewhat, in a, in a good way, sheltered, I guess, because of wrestling at an early mm-hmm. age, which, which I believe um, helped me out a lot. And still in those, like, say, elementary through junior high years um, in public school, you were still, though, uh, attending Sunday Mass with the family. So that was still Correct. going on, yep. but just not anything more like you weren't in youth group no, or anything like that. No, no. And that's the, that was the unfortunate thing. Like, I didn't hear or know about youth group until later on in life. And, you know, I, I see it's such a blessing, especially here at St. Brendan's, kids getting involved with youth group. Sure. Um because it brings them a lot of hope, you know, and a lot of um, that sense of community, especially when it comes to your faith, that you don't get, especially in like a private or a public school. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really wish I had that, but unfortunately, I, I just didn't know about it. So after all this public school, um, things kind of switch gears because in high school, then you went to a Catholic high school, DeSales. How how did you land there? And what was that transition like for you to go from public to Catholic school all of a sudden? Well, I wish I could say that I went there because of um, my love of Catholicism. <laughs> but unfortunately, uh, I went there strictly because of the wrestling program. Okay, But I I loved it. I mean, it was a different, entirely different atmosphere. There was less um, clicks. Um, people were more uh, welcoming, I guess. Um, and, uh, I mean, it, it just really, I started getting that sense of community, but it wasn't really, you know, we weren't really just sitting around the lunch table talking about religion. Um, right. So, like, but I at least I had that sense of community of people being um, friendly, I guess. So, like you said, it wasn't necessarily where you were unpacking religion with people, but you were starting to feel a little bit more of a community than you did in public school. Uh, you're wrestling, but as it typical in high school, there's other activities that go on, some better than others, and uh, it sounds like you were a pretty typical kid that, you know, you were kind of mixed up a little bit in that to some degree, but still, through high school, we're still going to Mass on Sundays, correct? Yes, yes, and it's actually unfortunate that... <clears throat> that opportunity to grow in my faith was there, especially through like theology class. But at that point I kind of, I was kind of losing, I was still praying every day, but I was, that interest towards all things Catholic wasn't really there. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, That was, yeah, that, that, that's something learning about the faith wasn't something that happened until after college. 
All right. So during those four years at DeSales and kind of leading up to your graduation from there in 2003, what plans uh, did you have for your life if priesthood was not yet on the radar? What, what were you thinking about doing in the future? Oh, get, I mean, the American dream, get married, have a bunch of kids, you know, go to college, get a great job, retire happy and die. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's always kind of been um, the plan. Um or what's expected of, of of me, and for the most part, what's expected of pretty much everybody in society. But um, I didn't know about this. I didn't know about vocations, really. I didn't understand that. Um, I didn't, it wasn't even a word that was on my radar until mid-20s. Um, I just thought that, you know, becoming a priest was simply just like a an occupational desire. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't, sure. it wasn't so much a calling by God. It was just something that just people wanted to do. That's all. Gotcha. Okay. And on uh, obviously in your story, that is not yet part of your uh, radar. So you then logically go to college after high school. Where did you go and what did you study? I went to Ohio University. Um, I studied finance and got a minor in psychology um, I learned pretty quickly uh, that I did not want to go into a occupation in finance. Um, it just uh, is just one of those majors I got too deep into, and it's too late to pick something else. But um, I, I did enjoy my time at OU, but I also fell into a lot of other extracurricular activities down there, um, unfortunately. But. So uh, were you, first of all, were you still wrestling in college? I was, I was, okay. I was, right. um, so. at least for three years, and then I had injuries, and it was just, it was time to move on. And what about girlfriends? I dated a girl down there uh, for three years, uh, great great girl. Um, unfortunately, it didn't work out <laughs> in the end. Uh, but she, um, for the most part, kept me out of a lot of, um, a lot of trouble. Uh, I mean, it, it, I was still caught up in the partying scene, but it wasn't to the extent where, you know, my grades were failing and, um, to the point where I actually would have to leave school because of a party scene. And I want to talk about your faith in your college years, because despite all that, and that's not so atypical of college, you know, there's just, there are a lot of, ex, like you say, extracurricular activities yeah. out there and stuff. And, and, and your kids are like discovering who they are and all that. But it's interesting because it sounds like you were still going to mass every Sunday, even in college. So I yeah. want you to tell us a little bit about that. And also you seem to take it a little step further, a little deepening. Something happened in your faith positively during your college years. Yeah, so um that and backing up like this is where I said that it it paid off well as far as always going to mass every Sunday cuz even down at OU um no matter if I was up until you know 2 2 3 a.m., you know, on a Saturday Saturday night I was still waking up and going to mass. Um Maybe I wasn't paying attention <laughs> during mass, but at least I was I was still there. So that door was always 
just just open enough um, for me to to keep that relationship with God. And also, like, you know, I would stop into the, I didn't know about daily Mass at this point, but I would stop into the church um, just to sit there and quiet and pray. Um, I do remember one time, um, again, I don't really know anything about my faith, but I remember that when John Paul II passed away, um, I didn't really know anything about him or what he did. I just remember that he was a very important Catholic person, and uh, when he died, uh, I remember crying when he died. Mm-hmm. I don't really know why I did, because I didn't really know anything about him, but yeah, I don't know. That was a, that was a very special moment. And and Father, tell us like you you were mentioning when when you were very young that your mom saw that you prayed a lot. So you prayed. T- what was your relationship with God from that early years, and how had it changed now in college, where you're seeking out a chapel and spending some time with God? Were your motivations the same, or were they changing? Uh, they were a little different. So when I was a when I was a, a child, um, when I said that I would pray a lot, it, it was more so. It wasn't out of a deep love for God, really. It was more of, um, I was terrified of God, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and uh, that was kind of my motivation. Like, I don't want to go to hell. Please don't let me go to hell. (laughs) Um, But as I grew up, um, and that that fear of God, that's that's a good thing to have. Um, But you also have to have that love of God. And so, like, when I got in college... That that love of God and prayer wasn't really present just yet. It was more I was praying just just for peace of mind. Um, mm. It was kind of you know I would talk to God, but I would go into that chapel and just it was it was, it was a moment to clear my head um, and just express what was on my heart. But it wasn't really um, a it wasn't really prayer spurned by a deep love of God just yet. Okay. So again, we're just saying that the call to priesthood that has not yet appeared to itself in your story, in your college years. So what happened to you after you graduate OU in 2007? What happens to the girlfriend and the career? Well, after college, uh, we broke up and um, I took that one pretty hard. I really, really loved this girl. Um, so I kind of um, spiraled out of control a little bit more, but now it was more like um, it wasn't so much partying like it was in college where I was having fun. Now it became more of um, um, partying because I'm lonely. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to do at this point. And can't, I graduated in 2007 and... I mean that was that was a hard time just finding a job out of college. Yes. So uh-huh. there was there was a lot going on, and uh, like I said, my personal life with that breakup and everything, I just I, I kind of spiraled out of control a little bit. Um, I was working, but you know, the job that I had, I was I was working from home at this point, and so you know, I, I wasn't really I was kind of isolated a little bit for the most of my day. And, um, yeah, things just got really lonely in my life at that point. 
We're talking with Father Frank Brown. He's a recently ordained priest and associate vicar over at St. Brendan's in Hilliard. He's sharing his vocational journey with us here on Answering the Call, and I'm your host, Elizabeth Ficicelli. You know, Father Brown, sometimes our pain is the impetus to do something about it. What was it What was it for you that, that finally made you do something in the direction of God and faith? I got desperate. I mean, um, and I don't know, I was just one day, I just decided to go to confession, and that was the first time I went to confession since my first confession as a little kid. Wow. Uh, and, yeah, it was just out of desperation. I didn't really know what to do, so um, I went down to St. Michael's and um, had, I don't know, that was probably like a 45-minute confession with Father Stosh Daly. Mm. Um, and it was a very... Uh, very special moment, um, and I felt I felt really, really good afterwards. Um, and if you're listening to this, and it, it's been a while since confession, um, that's not something to be scared about. Um, but it is refreshing if, if you have the opportunity to go after such long times. Now, that's that's not to say like my life flipped around and got put on track right after that um there's still a lot of issues that i needed to work out and in some instances things got a little bit worse um but at least uh i i was showing i was showing more of an interest in coming to understand my faith um, and one and one of the ways that that seemed to happen for you at this time is about discovering daily mass tell us about that yeah, so I didn't know that existed, and I fell in love with it. Um, and I started going there every day, and then, you know, uh, I had a, made a mistake in my personal life and got my license taken away. Yeah. And uh, I could drive. At that point, I was, wasn't working at home anymore, so I could drive to work, but I couldn't drive to Mass. And so... I would have, I remember I would have to wake up at, I think it was like 4.30 in the morning to walk to St. Michael. Wow. I can remember it was, uh, I think, three, three and a half miles there and then three, three and a half miles back. And um, I don't know, I just, I'd, I'd really fell in love with daily mass. And that was kind of one of those moments in hindsight where it was like, you know, who does this? <laughs> like I should, it should have like started clicking. Like mm, this is not normal. <laughs> yeah. But unfortunately, the, yeah, it just. And so I, anyway, yeah, it, that was just something that I wanted to do. And then I would, you know, help out at the soup kitchen on the weekend. And um, eventually, you know, I uh, eventually when I was where I started working in Powell, and even you know. During my lunch break, I would go to St. Joan of Arc just to sit in that chapel. Like That was my moment of just hiding from the world, I guess. Uh, and then just one day, I decided to move to Franklinton, um, down there by Holy Family Soup Kitchen. Yeah. And, uh, just because it was quiet down there. Um, quiet, I mean, at the but, time, but it a was l- a rough... It's a, at the yes. time, it was a pretty rough area, yeah. but it was... I don't know. I, 
it was just peaceful. And then ironically, like six months after I moved down there, you know, Father Stash Daly moves into the Holy Family, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is interesting. And he never pushed me on my vocation, um, but he was there to answer questions and, and be a friend. So. Yeah, God, yeah, God definitely put him in your path for sure. So, you know, you're, you're sharing with us that you're discovering daily mass. You're discovering adoration and the peace that you could find there. Um, you're talking about moving to Franklinton, which, as you said, was a, a rough neighborhood at that point, and uh, ministering to the homeless, this call for that. And when I think about all these things, Father, you were actually doing what maybe a spiritual mentor would have advised any young man who's considering the priesthood, like, well, go to Mass more frequently, spend some time before the Blessed Sacrament, get in, involved in ministry work. Um, and yet you had not sought specific counsel on this whole idea of no. priesthood. you Were you starting to hear the call yourself at this point, or was marriage and family still on the radar? What was going on then? Well, yeah, and that that was the weird thing, is like, I, even moving, after moving to Franklinton, it was like, and, you know, I tell myself I want marriage and kids and all that stuff, but the way I'm living is not matching up to what I'm saying that I want in life, you know what I mean? Right. Um, but no, like I didn't, I didn't even know what spiritual advising was until I went to seminary. Like I didn't know. For the most part, I was I was doing everything on my own, trying to figure out everything on my own. Uh, this thought of priesthood was coming into my head, but I was fighting it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't know. It's just over the course of a few years, it just. It just kept nagging my heart, you know, like I would still go out on dates here or there, but it felt like I was dating someone already. Right. And yeah. I was just, a, I even went out on a date with a wonderful, wonderful Catholic girl and just mid conversation, she said, have you ever thought of priesthood? And I was like, <laughs> I was like I, well, maybe, but this date is clearly over. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Oh my gosh! So how how did you stumble then upon the vocations director who was Father Noble at the time and and applying to the Josephine? And was that just through like research online? Pretty much, pretty much. Um, I I forget how I found Father Noble, but I once I did reach out to him. Um, yeah, I started that process of entering seminary, and I didn't even know there was a seminary in Columbus. <laughs> but <laughs> so yeah, and he just kind of explained things more, and then just I mean, eventually it just got to that point where you just you can't you, you got to take that leap, you know what I mean? And so I did. So after a lot of paperwork, the typical background checks, psychological analysis, you entered the Josephitum in 2014. Um, you needed two years of philosophy because the four years you had at OU took care of some of that. And then, of course, the four years of theology. So six years of seminary. How would you sum up your seminary experience? Were there any major hurdles or any surprises along the way? Um, it was a struggle, yeah. Um, but that was the first time that I actually had a sense of community um, where I could actually talk about my faith. Uh, with others, I never really had that. And even at the Josephine, even, you know, the, the classes are challenging, but, you know, even the professors are there to do whatever they can to help you. Um, now, if you're not doing the work, they'll fail you, but they'll, they'll do whatever they can to um, help you learn the material. It's not like at OU where you're competing with classmates um, 
at seminary, it was like, I'm, at seminary, seminarians are helping each other, because ultimately it's not about us individually, it's about the people of God. So if we're not helping out each other, then ultimately the people of God are the ones that get hurt because of that. So that sense of community, it it was refreshing. It was refreshing. Mm, that's good. That's good. And how would you say the relationship with God then, you know, because you shared in high school, it was kind of a, it, that deep love wasn't there yet, maybe more of a curiosity or finding peace with him. But how had it changed then by the end of seminary? By the end, uh, well, it was obviously before I entered seminary, you, you have to kind of have that love of God at that point. Um, so that that kind of entered in, you know, towards the end of my discernment before seminary and carried carried throughout seminary. Um, because before that, it was just more, prayer was just more of like desperation, like help me, help me, help me, God. Right, right. But slowly moved from that to more of a love of God. You were uh, ordained during the COVID year, June 2020. Um, I know that was challenging. And maybe some of your your uh, ability to figure things out yourself kind of helped, because I know you had to spend at least one semester at home and all. But you did make it through June 2020. You were ordained, and today you're over at uh, St. Brendan's uh, in in uh, Hilliard with Father Bob Penhelrick. Looking back at this journey, what would you say to another man, for instance, who is out there trying to figure it out? What would your advice be? Seek somebody out and talk about it. <laughs> uh, it makes things... Yeah, I said that like, most of my journey was... I was figuring things out on my own, and that was that's true, but that's not the ideal way to go about things. Um, it's much difficult if you try and do things on, on your own. I didn't, you know, like I said, I didn't know what spiritual advising was, but I, I also had this fear of, if I mentioned it to a priest, that he's just going to keep hounding me about it. And sure. not not the case. It's not yeah. the case at all. Well, Father Frank Brown, we are so glad that you have found your true home um, and that the COVID year is behind us, but getting back to normal, um, that you just have this wonderful future ahead of you and can't wait to see what you do in the lives of so many people that God puts in your path and in your your flock. So we, we wish you blessings on that. Could you leave us with your blessing, please? Sure. In the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Lord God, our souls long for you and for your glory. We thank you that we can live without fear again and again, refreshed and renewed. Show us the way we are to go and grant us your blessings in our hearts so that we may always live in your grace. Day by day, we trust in you and will praise your holy name forever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you again, Father Brown, for joining us today. Wow, what a wonderful story. And thank you for tuning in to Answering the Call. Uh, tune in on weekends, 1230, Saturdays and Sundays for another episode. This is Elizabeth Ficicelli. Have a great week. God bless you. Answering the Call is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio, AM820. Archives of Answering the Call with Elizabeth Ficicelli are available at stgabrielradio.com. This